Hello, uh, my name is Samuel Davidoff Gore, and I am an associate policy analyst at the Migration Policy Institute with the International Program. And welcome to this webinar on migration, integration, and development in secondary cities. Before we start, uh, I have two housekeeping notes that I want to, to go over. The first is if you have any technical problems, please email events at migrationpolicy.org. Second, we will have a question and answer session in the second half of this webinar. So please type any questions that you have into the Q&A box or email them to events at migrationpolicy.org. And you are more than welcome to ask questions at any point during the call and we will try to get to as many of them as possible in the time that we have. This webinar is being held in conjunction with the release of a new report from MPI, Migration and Displacement in Secondary Cities, Insights from Cote d'Ivoire and Uganda, which can be found on our website at the link on your screen. This webinar and report are part of a multi-year research partnership between the Migration Policy Institute and the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation's thematic section, Migration and Forced Displacement, to support the development of global solutions for migration and related challenges. And we're very grateful uh, to, to uh, SDC for their support. Before I turn to the discussion at hand, I wanted to provide a bit of context for why you know, the conversation that we're going to have is so important. The topics that we're going to be covering in this webinar, socioeconomic inclusion of refugees and migrants, secondary cities, and the context in the East and the Horn of Africa are all directly tied to developments at the global level of the protection system. Specifically, this all stems to the mid to, uh, 2010s to 2016 with the adoption of the New York Declaration on Refugees and Migrants and the different processes and agreements that have flowed from uh, that declaration, including the Global Compact on Refugees, the Comprehensive Refugee Response Framework that came out of, of the Global Compact and the New York Declaration process, and then the pledging mechanisms uh, of the Global Refugee Forums, the first of which was held in 2019, and then the second of which will be held uh, in December uh, in Geneva. One of the critical components of these developments have been, has been this shift from a humanitarian approach to refugee responses towards a development approach. So moving away from providing uh, the specific, um, you know, life-saving assistance, but also the general food uh, assistance and other uh, basic essentials uh, to refugees in specific areas, and instead making sure that they have the tools and rights uh, to become self-reliant, to contribute to their communities, and to, in, in essence, live as normal a life as possible given their circumstances. And so this brings me to the first pillar of our conversation, what we're referring to when we talk about socioeconomic inclusion for refugees and migrants. We mean that refugees and migrants have sufficient access to the key social and economic aspects of life. So this includes access to legal documentation of identity and immigration status, access to social services such as education and healthcare, and access to economic livelihood, economic and livelihood opportunities. So these can all help you know, lead to self-reliance, allowing refugees and migrants to better integrate into their communities as well as contribute uh, to the communities. 
The second key point that comes from these global discussions is the realization uh, of a long-term goal to move away from the settlement or encampment-based model uh, in refugee responses and instead allowing refugees the freedom to settle uh, across their, uh, their host countries. Uh, and of critical importance is the role of secondary cities. So secondary cities are those uh, with between 150,000 and 5 million residents. They're some of the fastest growing urban areas, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. And part of this growth is driven by refugee and migrants that are settling there, drawn to by the promise of better socioeconomic opportunities uh, that they might offer as opposed to other parts of the host country. And of course, there are other reasons that we can, we can discuss later. But as we will discuss uh, in the panel, secondary cities are often not equipped to handle these growing populations and the strain that they place on services. And while we have a lot of attention that's being paid to capital and megacities, such as uh, Nairobi and Kampala and Addis Ababa as actors in the refugee space and as targets for development assistance, and there is a lot of attention paid to encampments and settlements, there's a lot less attention paid to secondary cities. And so we have a critical knowledge gap as well as a critical attention gap that is slowly being filled. Uh, and as part of this conversation, uh, uh, we'll highlight how development actors might be able to help address these challenges through their programming. Finally, I want to briefly situate our discussion within a regional context that, that has been the focus of my research and, and of, of, of the work uh, that that you'll hear about on this webinar. And that is in the East and Horn of Africa. Uh, this region has been really a major site of progress uh, along uh, the implementation of these global reforms. Many of the countries are uh, have adopted the Comprehensive Refugee Response Framework. We have seen policy movement in a number of countries, uh, certainly the Ethiopia Jobs Compact, the recent uh, law in Kenya to really dramatically shift their refugee policy. Uh, and then, of course, we have Uganda, which has long been viewed as a model in the region. Uh, and we'll show a map just to situate uh, within Uganda what some of the, the, the cities will be talking about. But uh, in the interim, Uganda has long been held up as a model in the region with its open door policy to allowing refugees to enter and recognizing many of these refugees on a prima facie basis, which means that they do not need to undergo individual status determinations. Uganda also offers refugees a wide variety of socioeconomic rights and by and large, you know, really serves as a model for the region. Uh, but there is an important distinction that we will explore in this webinar and that our report goes to uh, in depth. Uh, in Uganda, refugees can officially register either in designated settlements or in the capital of Kampala. Refugees who choose to live outside of these designated settlements are considered self-settled and are therefore not officially recognized. So when we talk about settlements in Uganda, we're gonna be talking specifically about areas where refugees are officially recognized by the government as living. And when we're talking about secondary cities, these by and large are not officially part of settlements and therefore they are not officially recognized as refugee hosting. And this is an important distinction that we'll get into. So with this context, I'm excited to turn the conversation over to a fantastic group of individuals who have extensive experience working on issues related to displacement, secondary cities, and development programming. And 
to start, uh, we're going to turn to our first speaker, Barnabas Samuel. Barnabas Samuel is a co-founder and development programs manager and board chair of the Community Development Center, a non-governmental civil society organization based in South Sudan and Uganda. He has extensive experience in managing community development programs in education, microfinance, health, and agriculture, uh, and has experienced uh, has lived experience with displacement himself. is currently based in Uganda, and I had the great fortune of meeting him uh, when I was in Uganda in, in conducting research um, for for this report. And so, Barnabas Samuel, um, I was wondering if you could talk about some of the what some of the primary challenges are that self-settled refugees in Uganda face in terms of accessing basic services, such as health and education, as well as economic opportunities, and how these opportunities differ for self-settled refugees in secondary cities like the city of Arua, uh, which is in Northwest Uganda, uh, when compared to those uh, with the settlements. The floor so, is yours. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, as introduced, I'm Barnabas Samuel. Uh, I work for Community Development Center, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be uh, today speaking on this webinar. Um, I live in Uganda myself, uh, currently speaking to you from Arua, and uh, uh, basically just to, uh, to to provide some little bit of uh, uh, maybe on the first question on the challenges that uh, refugees, self-styled refugees, uh, who are settling phase in access to uh, most uh, of the aspects like health, education, and uh, economic uh, kind of uh, opportunities uh, is that uh, basically the, the challenges that they are existing because people, uh, refugees who settle uh, in the urban areas uh, basically come uh, because they won't have uh, a better access to for opportunities or to services. And um, one thing is somebody might have, for, for refugees settling in Arua, for example, uh, and Koboko, they might be able to have maybe a source of income. And, and when there is a change, uh, when there is a change, they cannot support their families. And, and that can be a very, very huge uh, challenge. Uh, and that, that's exactly what, what happens in this, in this context. Uh, secondly, uh, another issue is, uh, you know, when you come into places like this and there's lack of um, a lot of skills or skills that are necessary, uh, mostly you maybe don't have uh, the education that is that that is needed, or you may have, but then because you are, you know you are you are somebody you're a refugee or you're a foreigner. In, in that sense, so there is maybe an aspect of, of, of discrimination to some to some extent. Um, I I can imagine if you come, you're a refugee and you're living in, and in that that has been a little bit an aspect that has been existing. You work in a setting, uh, but then you are not paid like any other person who is in the host is being is being paid. I think that 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 is related to that. So you are paid in. Your payment is lower, or uh, you have limited opportunities uh, that 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 you that you needed for for yourself. Those those can be uh, very uh, biggest uh, challenges. As I said, if the source of income uh, is being affected, uh, for those who have settled actually here coming for better services, they have a source of income that might 
be from people across borders uh, supporting them. But if, uh, if, if the source of income changes of this, based on the situation, then they will be struggling uh, to sustain their livelihoods in, the, in this place. And some of the factors also include like uh, when you don't have, um, you don't have access to, to credit, uh, you don't have access, because you don't have maybe, you have documentation, but then the landscape, the environment cannot support uh, cannot support that, or you have very limited in that end, uh, in that in that sense. That means not everyone can be able to have access to those. And yeah, basically also yeah, for, for just like any other person settling in these areas, if you don't have, um, if you cannot be able to have any capital uh, that you needed to to start the business and pursue the opportunities that you really seek by by being in in such an environment. Then is is a little bit um, a little bit challenge, and of course uh, requires you to have the networks that are necessary for you to be able to build that. And yeah, basically uh, those those are some of the those are some of the challenges that are there um, that are existing in in these areas. And for for the opportunities aspect of it, of course we have we have talked about it. You know, being in a place uh, like Arua, for example, like Koboko, there is. There's, there's business and there's people, there's this population that you have. So you have the opportunity of getting yourself and, and trying to do something. For example, I, I know of, 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 of refugees who own businesses in town and the kind of businesses they do, they cannot do in the settlement areas. And, and yeah, I think those are, those, are, those are the aspects. So there's this, this, this economy, which is a little bit more larger, and uh, it means that you can be able to you can be able to do something, and 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 yeah, you can also be able to find uh, a job or you can be able to do uh, a business uh, which you cannot be able to do in the in the areas of uh, in the settlement areas. And I think this is this is basically if we want to think in a different aspect, this is why people are people are in uh, in, in in these areas and and they they accept to be. Settling in uh, in the cities like Arua or like Koboko, mostly like Arua, because you know it makes a difference to where you have you have been. And then lastly, you just want to gauge, you want to find out uh, why the kind of uh, opportunities that might exist in the city. Uh, you want to see what best you can be able to exploit and what opportunities you can be able to take. And yeah, you may find those opportunities, and then those becomes those becomes, of course, uh, some of the things you look for. But then the challenges comes along with what you will experience uh, in in some of the aspects that you will you will have. And those are some of the critical areas that for us uh, we have been looking into. We 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 have been looking into like here, what kind of skills can we provide for refugees living here? What kind of uh, empowerment opportunities can we provide? What kind of events and networking opportunities can we create for 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 refugees because they need a network, they need uh, they need the opportunities. What kind of opportunities can we share? And and we had a project that was based on helping people know A and B C D. We learned from an experience uh, of of migration, people migrating from West Africa to Europe. To look for opportunities and, and a certain project that I was involved was trying to let them know about opportunities that exist locally. But to translate it in another perspective, we said, okay, fine, what are the opportunities existing actually locally in the cities? 
where you are to help you have a sustainable livelihood. And I think those are those are those are the aspects. Maybe where I need to talk about, I can I can later highlight uh, what we were able to do. Uh, but one thing we were able to do is, but as well to help uh, refugees work together with host communities in Arua, we work to establish an innovation uh, kind of uh, hub. And this innovation hub was providing space for people who want to work, uh, incubation of the startups that might 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 be they are existing for refugees, but as well for host communities, and as well uh, provide trainings, uh, a mentorship. Right now, we do more of ICT kind of trainings for for refugees living in the city. They need those skills. Recently, we also incorporated language. You know language kind of related kind of uh, skills. And uh, that one we realized, which was very important uh, for that. And I think in one aspect, we collaborated with a, a refugee-led organization in Kampala to provide Congolese refugees language, kind of, uh, you know, English kind of literacy kind of, this enables them to, to, to know how to communicate. And also, you know, trainings on areas of communication. Now, crafts, incorporated crafts, we incorporated a creative kind of uh, skills that may exist and where they can be able to use those skills. So I think those 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 are some of the things that we do. Currently, the host hub is having like, you know, more of a kind of a online TV that is under the host TV and a lot of youth are create, uh, creatively engaged in media kind of related uh, work. And I think that 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 is something that... Uh, that is something that is there. But overall, we want to have a network. We want to create a space where we can uh, build and support those startups so that they can they can they can grow and we can provide the mentorship that is necessary. We can provide skills that they can they can have so that they can improve their livelihoods within the city. Basically, pointing on some of the challenges that are that are there and how they can be able to do it. But also. We, we we think that we, we can do, and I think one thing we've been looking into is enabling uh, uh, enabling identifying talents, talents and skills that are existing and where they're needed. And I think that's what we are doing. For refugees in Arua who are skills, we, we try to work with uh, our partners to provide them opportunities where they can. They can also be able to have their skills and have payment. More especially, they can do work that is maybe online and, and be able to get paid for it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Barnabas Samuel. And I think, you know, the, the points that you've raised about the challenges, especially for economic accessing economic opportunities, the limitations based on the lack of capital are really salient ones. Um, and I want to turn uh, now to our next speaker, uh, Samuel Mabala. Uh, to talk a bit more about the the, the challenges that secondary cities facing and, and some of the policy uh, policy limitations. Uh, so Samuel Mavala is the country urban advisor for Cities Alliance based in Uganda. Uh, and he has a wide uh, range of experience in housing and urban development and management issues, policy development, project planning uh, and management, monitoring and evaluation. Um, and we're really, uh, and I also had the uh, pleasure of meeting with him uh, in Kapala in uh, in when doing my research. So, so Samuel, I was wondering, uh, what are some of the specific policy limitations that secondary cities in Uganda are facing, uh, given you know the, the the increasing number of of refugees who are self self settling there, and how are our cities and municipalities able to address some of these challenges, 
and what capacity constraints uh, do they face? Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Samuel. Uh, it's a pleasure to be part of this webinar. Um, I'm glad that, that um, we've, been, uh, we've had the interaction before. And you have already alluded to the policy in Uganda, the open door policy of refugees. Specific limitations that I can highlight right away is first and foremost, the recognition of refugees in the urban areas. You already said in Uganda, they are called self-settled refugees. And for that matter, they do not uh, qualify for any uh, support from, from the government. And therefore, the numbers of the refugees in cities like Koboko and uh, Arua put a lot of pressure on the cities to provide uh, services to these cities. So the first issue is the, the need to make the policy consistent. If, if, if it is recognizing refugees in the capital city, we think that this is the same kind of uh, policy that should apply to the rest of the secondary city. And the second issue is that uh, the institutions, the city authorities do not have the mandate itself to respond uh, to the refugees. And for that matter, they cannot even register the refugees. They do not have the... Samuel, I think you're having a bit of an issue with uh, your video, so maybe you try, want to try to turn your video the, the off. The refugees who are in the... Who are in something. All right. Yeah, the, the, third, the third thing which I want to talk about is the issue of the funding constraints. That the policy does not uh, address the, the need to support these cities with additional resources in order to effectively respond to the to the refugee uh, influx, and for uh, this is something which we've seen, especially in the cities, for example, in in Arua, uh, the allocation of the national grants to the cities is based on three factors: that is the population size, the area of the of the city, and the poverty count. And at the time of the 2014 population and housing census. The population of Arua did not include uh, the refugee number. And so the resources that were being given to the cities were not commensurate with the population uh, which included now the refugees. And so overall, this had a negative effect on the service delivery ratios within these cities because of the refugee uh, component. The next other challenge that I can see is the issue of the institutional gaps. Now, considering the cities uh, only have the structures, the capacities, the staffs that are only managing, that are supposed to address the needs of the, the, the population without refugees, then uh, with the influx of the refugees, certainly they put a lot of pressure on the structures and therefore the institutional gaps are something that the cities are grappling with uh, in order to respond. So it causes the inability of the cities to meet the pressure um, that is caused by the, the influx of refugees. Now, what are the cities doing in order to address these gaps? First and foremost, the cities have recognized 
that yes, the, the refugees have come, and specifically in uh, Arua and Koboko, I think one of the things that the cities have done is to accept the refugees as their brothers, because at one time the population in these two uh, in this region uh, was also forced into uh, displacement into the neighboring countries of Congo and the southern Sudan, and they were uh, hospitably uh, received and, uh, and and assisted. So I think uh, it is now their turn of the of the Ugandans to also reciprocate, and for that matter, they regard these refugees as their brothers and sisters. And therefore, there is uh, there, there is I think in terms of conflicts and so forth, they are minimized. They have been they have been uh, accepted and they are accommodated. The second thing that uh, the cities have done, they have conducted uh, censuses to establish, you know, the numbers of the refugees, the migrants, and the host communities. So they have the statistics uh, that provide evidence for these cities to put up a case for additional funding. They have therefore continued lobbying and advocating at various uh, partners for, for, for support. And I think uh, they have been able, they have been uh, successful in some, in some respects uh, to attract some support to address the issue of funding. Then of course, the inclusion, the inclusion of the refugees uh, on, the, on the municipal development forum and the city development forum. These are platforms for participatory planning, these are platforms for budgeting, and the refugees are there to speak for themselves. They don't have to, to have other people who can talk for them. So they have been provided uh, a slot on the forums for them to be part of this. Then, of course, the issue of uh, the capacities which you identified, capacity gaps, most of these cities are experiencing, uh, number one, the issue of institutional gaps. They do not have institutions, are not well positioned to be able to address the issue of, of, of the refugees. Then, of course, we would like to see the cities uh, supported with finances to effectively respond. You know, in most of the schools, most of the health facilities, uh, with the influx, with the additional numbers of refugees, Certainly, the services are not adequate. The staff at times are overworked, and therefore the capacity issues are very, very, uh, very big in some of the cities. And therefore, we also we identified one thing: the need to attract and, and and make positive use of the remittances, especially that are coming in. So rather than looking at refugees from the negative side of uh, people who are in need of help, but I think they also make a contribution. So this is something which we expect the cities to build on and try to help or to incentivize these refugees and migrants to invest in their respective uh, cities. So I think for now, let me just end there. I can say a little bit more on the kind of support that Cities Alliance is providing. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And that definitely, I think, you know, a lot of the, the challenges, you know, are, are you know, certainly that you've highlighted are, are true in Uganda, but I think also 
true uh, in other countries in the region, of, of course, with different governance structures, with many of the same challenges in terms of funding and mandate um, are, are consistent challenges. And certainly in our report, when comparing Cote d'Ivoire with Uganda, have seen similar uh, challenges in, in quite a different governing context. Um, so now I want to, to pull back a little uh, and, and talk about the, uh, this from a bit more of a global perspective. Uh, and to do that, I want to turn to Renat Boucher, uh, who is the program officer, uh, program, man program manager, I should say, Migration and Forced Displacement at the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation based in Bern, where she leads the urban migration portfolio in the section on migration and forced displacement. Um, Renat, I was wondering how can, how does the work that SDC is funding in Uganda, including the work of Cities Alliance, um, fit within your broader urban displacement portfolio and how, how do you really transmit lessons from the projects there to your overarching strategy? Um, and how do you, how do you, does your work on urban issues inform kind of the perspective on forced displacement and vice versa? How does the forced displacement frame uh, influence the work that you're doing on urban issues in other areas? Yes, thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to be speaking here and also after these um, two nice speakers in front of me. Um, so the work that we we fund in Uganda that is also mentioned in, in MPI's report is actually um, a part of a program together with Cities Alliance. Um, so I'm very happy to speak after Samuel Mabala. And also Barnabas Samuel, I understand, is, is involved in, in that um, program. So this is the second phase of cooperation that we started in, in 2018 with the aim um, to look at the role of cities and specifically, Sam, to what you alluded, secondary cities um, and their role in the socioeconomic inclusion and protection of migrants. This, of course, includes working with the host communities, with the private sectors, but also with the city administration. In the first phase, we were looking at addressing a lot of the institutional um, policy and funding challenges that Samuel Mabala mentioned before. So, for instance, through urban expansion planning, um, that you where you can help cities prepare for the growth that they're going to see, um, partly due to people migrating to the cities. And in the current second phase, we're focusing more on corridors, on systems of secondary cities, um, really to empower cities to become the central actors and leaders in unlocking the development potential of migration. So as I said in the beginning, it's part of a global program. Um, so the projects and activities are not only happening in Uganda, but also in Ethiopia and Somalia, but also in Tunisia and in Guatemala. Through the program, we are looking at um, what we like to refer to as localizing the SDGs. So we're really looking at how do, do all those um, processes and everything translate to the local level and how can these challenges then be addressed on the local level. But on the other side of the elevator, um, we're also looking at elevating the voices of the mayors and those um, local actors and bringing them into the regional, the international and the multilateral processes. So there we have um, also another partner that comes in, which is the Mayor's Migration Council that really um, has been helping to bring mayors uh, into, for instance, the Global Refugee Forum um, that is happening in Geneva in December. So really to bring those experiences from the ground into the global discussions. 
So we've also, through our um, global program, contributed, for instance, to the study of IIED that some of you uh, might know on protracted displacement in an urban world. That was quite an innovative research on comparing the livelihoods of people, of displaced people in cities versus camps, um, just to really um, improve our understanding of the challenges that cities are facing in order then to find ways to help cities prepare for this rapid urbanization and really um, that there will be access to basic um, needs and basic facilities for the host communities and the migrants themselves. So we're focusing a lot on learning, on, on, on um, building on capacities of local actors. So they are, if we're learning from one project, of course, this feeds into the next one. We're relying there on the feedback from um, the ground, from really the people who work in the in the projects, um, or also our partners like Samuel Mabala. Um, so on the basis of all these informations um, and monitoring missions, we share <clears throat> lessons learned internally. We have evaluations. Um, but if we also continue with the next phase of a partnership, we always have to reflect on the lessons that we learned. Why are we continuing? Why are we continuing that way? And maybe some things that did not work. Um, so we're really trying to, to learn from the different contexts where this global program is working. And some things can be scaled up in other contexts and some might, might need to be adapted. Um, so there's also events like this webinar, I think that is, is a way of sharing lessons and I'm always very excited to hear other speakers to hear what what really is is the key and what how can we improve our work. Um, and then maybe to your last question on how the work on urban issues influences our work on forced displacement. Um, so we have the the privilege of having an advisor in LCC that works only on urban issues. So we're of course a lot in contact with him. We're bringing in the migration. Um, aspects while he's bringing in sometimes a bit more the, the more technical urbanization um, work. But beyond that, um, I think in our section, in, in our work on migration and forced displacement, most programs involve urban realities and components. Um, this holds specifically true for new engagements that we will have next year on climate change related human mobility since there's a lot, uh, of course, going on with cities and a lot of potential that we can we can tap into, um, but also as what you alluded before with the with the triple nexus. So we're really trying to strengthen that. We have um, a stronger engagement in our section now with um, a focus on durable solutions, and cities and urban areas are of course places perceived with a lot of opportunities for such durable solutions. So we're really trying to bring in the urban, the urban in all in all those programs. I can elaborate on one thing or another, but I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Renat, uh, for those comments. And I'm already seeing lots of questions coming in through uh, the Q&A function. Uh, and for those of you uh, who perhaps missed it at the beginning, please submit the, the questions to the Q&A function. Uh, and we'll try to get to as many as possible. Uh, and given given the time, I'm going to, to take the prerogative of the chair to to ask uh, to to start asking follow up questions. But I, I will try to to integrate um, 
some of the questions that have already come in as much as possible. Uh, and I think the, the first kind of question I want to, to put back to the panel is thinking about communication between different levels. So I think there's you know, lots of activity and learning happening at the local level you know, with, with municipal actors, as well as you know, local civil society organizations and non-governmental organizations, such as the Community Development Center. You then have the policy being set at the national level uh, that uh, is not necessarily, you know, that, that, is, that is more both political, but also is, you know, really setting uh, the priorities for, um, for the cities and the policy for the districts. And then you have the global level where you have actors like the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation that are designing their programs um, along with other donors and other and other international forums. So I was wondering how can one of the findings from our report is that there's, you know, these different levels are not necessarily linked to uh, to to an extent that would make them really more effective and better at you know, transmitting learning. So I think to all three of you, I, I would pose the question from your own context, what are some of the you know, ways that you can, that we could improve this learning or enhance this learning, um, you know, between different levels? And what are some of the opportunities that already exist in your context for, for facilitating this learning? And so, you know, whether this is through the city development forums um, at the local level or through the national uh, steering board for the comprehensive refugee response framework in Uganda to, um, you know, do inter-donor coordination, uh, at the global level. Uh, so I don't know uh, if uh, perhaps Barnabas, Samuel, if you want to start and just keep these to maybe two minutes each and then we can get to some of the other questions that are coming in. All right, Samuel, let me go first. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I think the opportunity which we have on the ground uh, Cities Alliance has worked with a number of partners and of course with the support from SDC. Uh, we have uh, been able to support the formation of, uh, uh, at the municipal level, they are called the Municipal Development Forums or City Development Forums, and at the local level, they are called Settlement Level Forums. Uh, but of course, at the national level, we have the National Urban Forums. But in the case of Uganda, especially relating to the refugee issues, we have the comprehensive uh, refugee response framework and uh, for one time we noted that while we have been able you know to support the cities to provide evidence about the existence of refugees and use that evidence for purposes of advocacy but we needed a seat on the CRRF uh, steering group and I'm glad to say that uh, we are members but in observer capacity. And we believe that is just uh, an entry point. Uh, we think that at that point, we should be able to try to uh, network with the other partners and be able to impress upon them about the need you know, to uh, ensure uh, policy consistency to all these cities. Then, of course, lastly, we think that uh, uh, with our presence on the steering group, we also uh, can make an input into the global, uh, like I think the ongoing practice uh, process of the, the global refugee, uh, pledges to the global refugee forum. I think we think that uh, it's, it's an entry point where uh, as partners we can be in position to um, 
influence uh, whatever happens at the national level. And of course, lastly, we are, we are looking, we are working with the various partners, uh, like at the local, uh, the West Nile regional, sub-regional level, we have the West, uh, West Nile uh, Development Association, WENDA, which brings together a number of uh, local governments at that level. And they also have uh, parliamentarians. So we think that uh, through the parliamentary caucus of the region, you know, they can be able to reach out uh, within the National Assembly to be able to raise the voices of the refugees about the need for attention and recognition at that level. Yeah, so Cities Alliance, I think, uh, as, I can, as I can close, as I close, I think this is something that we have been able to uh, emphasize about the need to work with the various uh, partners, uh, refugee-led organizations, host community-led organizations, working together with government, working together with the NGOs uh, to be able to uh, ensure that the issue of uh, refugees integration and, and inclusion is, adequate, is adequately addressed. Thank you very, thank you very much, Samuel. Excellent. Uh, Barnabas, do you want to follow? Interesting. Uh, it's very interesting that we have Samuel and Samuel. So, so yeah, it's Samuel now to me. Uh, basically, I, I, I may not uh, uh, make a very long uh, comment, but we are currently uh, trying to ensure that there is a little bit of voice for refugees living um, in, in, in Abuwa. And uh, we want to create uh, opportunities that uh, can enable uh, refugees have more voice and advocacy for issues of refugees living within uh, these areas. And, and for this reason, we, we have really organized a, the refugee platform, uh, which is having a very uh, good uh, department uh, that is focused on that under the West Nile Refugee-Led Organizations Network. And, and the network is really uh, uh, fronting uh, these issues and trying to be more of a voice for refugees living in these areas and particularly in the in the city and and and, and basically uh, since we are based in Arua, the network is based in Arua, so uh, it's more of being close to uh, working on on issues related to this, but uh, being more of providing advocacy on issues of refugees living in these areas. So I think it's one of the efforts that uh, some of us getting involved in, and I can really uh, be able to talk about it where we're progressing and what we're doing. And we think that will be very important contribution as well. So I think that's 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 what I can I can say uh, as, as far as that's concerned. Thank you. Great, Th thank you, Werner um, Samuel. Uh, Renat, I want to, to start incorporating some of the questions that are rolling in. Uh, and so, um, I was wondering, uh, from your perspective, we're, we're seeing some questions about the issues of social cohesion, issues of targeting, the the, the, the fact that a lot of the economic and social uh, challenges that refugees are facing uh, in secondary cities are very similar to ones that many of the host community are facing. Um, we have seen, you know, lots of, of research, you know, thinking you know, that about you know, different public narrative, narratives and public opinion towards refugees from host communities. And the the fact that, you know, if you directly target, you know, interventions specifically at one community, but not the other, that could raise tensions when and their conversation about how you balance competing needs. So um, from your perspective, sitting at the more global level, could you talk a bit about how, you know, 
what's the direction that this is going? Because I know that there's a lot of work in trying to to navigate um, to navigate this kind of this, this this difficulty. Yeah, no, totally. Um, thank you for those questions. I think this highlights an important part of our work because what we do also with with the program with Cities Alliance is really to look at vulnerable host communities as well as migrants. And projects that come from the local level, they're really not designed by us. They are designed by um, city actors for their needs as a community. And that encompasses everyone in that community. Um, never, never mind how long they're there for already. Um, so I think this is, this is crucial because otherwise we drive a separation that we don't want to see. Maybe that has been what was the effect of, of some programs or, or an unintended negative consequences in the past, but I think we've learned from that. Um, and it's really about the host communities as well, because at the end of the day, what we want is that everyone has the access um, the access to the basic basic services and everyone can um, realize their human rights no matter yeah their migratory status in that sense um so you know we we have all these these nice things that we say and all the localization um agenda we've signed up at switzerland to the grant bargain to the oecd doc recommendations and all that but how do we implement that is definitely the challenge um this we haven't figured out yet how to really then support the right local actors in the right way but i think um through the the cities alliance program i think we're we're getting close to how it can how it can really work very well um for us so we we need to have those partnerships we need to to strengthen local actors um we we don't need to necessarily in, reinvent the wheel if if systems are already in place that can be strengthened and if we want to make it also sustainable we need to in, involve the local government um so that the systems that are strengthened really remain once our our funding goes out so i think our role is more as an enabler and i think we should try to take a little bit more the back seat um and let the local actors lead in in that but uh, yeah, there's challenges on the way. I'm not gonna lie about that. Yeah, th thank you. Um, do Barbara, Samuel, and, and Sam, do do either of you want to come in on this point? Otherwise, we can move to another question. Yeah. So so basically, um, uh, just on that question, for 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 the work currently we do, uh, I think one one uh, one of the projects that we we currently remain we have. We start looking in this perspective that we should be able to target uh, fifty uh, percent of refugees and also fifty percent of host communities. The approach we actually employ now within within the city is that you know you find uh, people locally have skills, people have locally have skills, and you want to provide a skill. For example, when when we when we talk about that perspective. When you in that way, when I when I discussed that earlier, and then when you provide a platform in which you are able to have opportunities that can actually benefit both of uh, the refugees and the host communities living in this place, for me and as far as uh, experience is concerned, it's really really very critical uh, for when when it comes to cohesion and uh, you know based on uh, based on that perspective and looking at uh refugees and host communities living in the areas uh where we are working 
you you find that yes, as as you mentioned, the vulnerabilities that are existing uh, or can be across, and and you need to address that. But also in different perspective, uh, anything we do have an impact in one way or another across, and so there is a way each and every person uh, can can get involved in, in one way or another. For example, of Hub, which we are doing, we have. Uh, this is the space that we, we put in Arua in the beginning. We, of course, that started the initiative. We, we say we're refugees, but then we we want to make it the first of its kind of innovation space within West Nile. So it's basically right now run by the host community within this area, but providing opportunities for refugees. So what what uh, what a way to to bring uh, different uh, people together to work and to ensure that one of, of what you're doing is able to, to benefit the people. So they are able to share their skills with, with the others, but they are able to have opportunities of employment. Um, and you are able to meet many different uh, uh, targets that you want to see in, in one of the things that you're doing. So I think that's, that's for me, comes out very strongly in, in many perspectives. Thanks, uh, Sam. I'll let you uh, to add, add your comments in on this one. I also wanted to uh, direct uh, another question your way, and that's you know digging into the this discrepancy in the national policy that doesn't recognize self-settled refugees um, and doesn't count them uh, within within the urban populations. Uh, and so, what are you know? This is obviously an issue, and it's an issue that we you know identified in the report. It's an issue that. I think you know it's it's not new. It's uh, it's not a and it's getting more attention. But what? How can how can this be best addressed? What are some of the, you know, what are the prospects for for changing this? Um, and you know, knowing that you know changing the policy is is a long and arduous process. What are some of the interim steps that can help mitigate the challenges uh, that that cities are facing because they these populations that exist within their borders and are using their services are not are not counted as such. Yeah, thank you very much, Samuel. Um, I think during during our first uh, phase, we were able to to sponsor um, a census of refugees, migrants, and host communities, and we supported the Uganda Bureau of Statistics, which is an official agency, uh, to publish official statistics. And, and through that, we were able uh, to get you get the, the UBOS, you know, incorporate uh, questions on refugees within the forthcoming national population and housing census. So to me, I think that is a very big uh, step forward that in the next census, we should be having the uh, statistics about the, the refugees numbers within the secondary cities and the likely impact of these numbers on, on the service delivery. Um, so I think with, the, with that kind of evidence, we should be able to, to, to have a starting uh, dis a discussion about building a case you know, for policy uh, review to address or recognize uh, the refugees within the cities. And then secondly, of course, we have been having the issue of uh, forums that uh, when the West Nile Development Agency have so far convened, for multi-stakeholder uh, dialogues 
where a number of issues are addressed. And all these are represented by host communities, by refugees, by the different uh, stakeholders. And the outcome of this is expected to feed into the advocacy agenda. So I think this is something which is very critical. And then the other one is we're also having regional peer learning events where we, you know, we get the different stakeholders, the mayors, uh, the national leaders, and, and we, we, we convene these regional dialogues in the various, uh, in the various uh, locations uh, that in countries which are also hosting refugees to learn from each other and see how best we can, you know, come up with the proposals uh, to improve on the, on the policy agenda. The role of the comprehensive refugee response framework in this is very critical. And this is where we think that while previously they have been focusing so much on the refugees within the settlement, I think uh, it's, it's a fact that more refugees are moving into the cities because of the opportunities that the cities tend to, to present. And therefore, it is not something that can be avoided. It is something that uh, is imperative, is necessary, and we need, we cannot shy away from this. I think this is something which time is coming when we need to, you know, to take the bull by horn and, uh, of course, uh, you know, address the issues as such. Yes, I think for now, let me, let me pause there. Thank you very much, Samuel. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm conscious of time and uh, that we're coming up to the close of the webinar, um, and I apologies in advance uh, that we won't be able to get to all of the fantastic questions. Uh, I want to, I think the final question that I, I would want to pose uh, to the group, and so I'll give you a, a minute to think about an answer would be, you know, what the the one or two takeaway, major takeaways in terms, you know, that, that we should have in terms of, you know, recommendations for going forward. So if there was, you know, you know, what what is one you know i think specific change that could you know really you know have a concrete impact on the work that you're doing that could help uh you know improve efforts uh, uh towards socioeconomic inclusion in these cities uh or to address a specific policy change uh, and i'm going to go in in i think reverse order of the panel renat but you don't mind me putting you on the spot for that um, and i would also there was a question that came in um, about in, in incorporating um, migrants and and refugees into um, into planning or you know larger economic development planning on um, on secondary cities that that are these plans that are being developed in different countries. So if you have any thoughts about you know, from the the urban displacement kind of policy nexus that you want to add in that regard, I think that'd be more than welcome. But to to start with Renat. Thank you. That's a very big question for, for not a lot of time. I think my main takeaway and also what when I read the report was like, OK, we're going in, in, in a good direction with that approach. Of course, this is only one part of SDC's work. I think we have to continue um, also not only in migration, but really continue our efforts in in working with local actors, having those partnerships not forgetting host communities when we work with migration um, and really, yeah, look at migrants becoming part of the city. So we need to, to we need to have cities prepared for, for the urban 
for the urban urbanization and the rapid growth that that they're going to see and in that way i think we can have a lot of impact down the line if now we invest in, in the planning and not to take um more time away from my other fellow excellent panelists i'll leave it at that thanks renat uh sam uh, mabala Yeah, thank you very much. I think to me, the two takeaways that I can highlight, one is looking at not just the reactive uh, way of uh, trying to address the issues, but being now more proactive. And one of these, as Renata mentioned, is what we, are, we term as urban expansion planning, planning 30 years ahead. Uh, for these cities which whose population is growing every other day and also expanding every other day so i think it is important to plan ahead even for the for the growth of the population that is coming in secondly i think it is the issue of the perspective that we have about refugees the social inclusion and integration of refugees into the urban uh, into the cities is very critical and for that matter, I think the approach that we need to look at is how do we consider refugees as an asset much more than a liability? I think this is where we need now to look at what kind of incentives and what is it that we need to do to build their capacity and enable them to positively contribute to the development of these cities. That way we shall not look at them as a problem, but more as an opportunity. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. And finally, uh, to Barnabas Samuel, uh, I'll hand the floor over to you for the final intervention. I think uh, uh, basically what I will say is uh, um, uh, we, we we look at uh, things in this um, uh, in this way. Uh, for for us, it's key that uh, refugees living in uh, in these areas to complement efforts like. Uh, beautiful efforts uh, and excellent efforts that have been put uh, just like what we have had and, and, and to have effective recommendations. For us, we, we have been working and, and with refugees to ensure that uh, they, they can have uh, a more space and, and their, their voices are being heard, but also that they are being seen uh, in, in the light of what uh, my colleague has mentioned on how they contribute and their positive contribution. Uh, to the economy and, and to the cities where they where they live, and and I think that for for us is is really key, uh, and and that is the most powerful way of, of how we can be able to communicate uh, about these issues. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Barnabas Samuel. Um, I think the really important uh, important closing uh, point. Uh, and reinforced certainly by by Renat and, and Samuel about you know, really framing you know th thinking about the opportunities uh, that cities have and really thinking about how we can support secondary cities to really latch on to these opportunities leverage these opportunities for economic growth and what support is needed to help them get there uh, and so I want to thank all of you for for tuning in. Uh, and for all of your excellent questions. And I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to any uh, that were submitted, but please know that um, you know, if you would like to reach out uh, and, and follow up with any of the participants, 
or want to have a question uh, answered, you can reach out to events at migrationpolicy.org. An audio and video recording will be available on the event website uh, later today, uh, if not tomorrow. Any reporters on the call can contact Michelle Mittelstadt at mmittelstadt at migrationpolicy.org with any questions. Uh, as I mentioned, this webinar is in conjunction with the report Migration and Displacement in Secondary Cities, Insights from Cote d'Ivoire and Uganda, which can be found on our website at the link on your screen. Uh, I want to close by thanking again the Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation for the support and its partnership. I want to thank our, our three panelists uh, and uh, have a lovely rest of your day.